to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet. I'm 90 the fan. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. I'm your host, William Liu. And given that this is Tuesday, I am joined by Sportsnet's Blake Murphy, producer. Blake Murphy. What's going on, Blake? Do you have the other producers um, play this drop when you are on the morning show on Jay's Talk Plus, which is coming up right after this, and also today on the Fan Drive Time? I don't. Will be at five o'clock. It would be weird to have it on my own show. Why not? If I, if I branded it as Blake Murphy Tuesdays, it's supposed to be Blake Murphy every day on Jay's Talk Plus. Uh, no, the morning show doesn't give me anything other than they generally the first five minutes of the segment is complaining that I don't have to wake up early anymore. Mm. Yeah, don't you love it though? That's how that one goes. Is it, so is I mean, it, I'm still it, doing the morning show with them every morning, so it's not like I'm sleeping nah, until like no, nine on, o'clock. Bro. But the difference between five a.m. and seven thirty a.m. is monstrous. I was gonna say, how, how's your standard of living improved? It's only been a week, so. But yes, it's it's gone yeah. up. No, it's good, man. No, you look you look bright, shiny. There's uh, less eye bags. Actually, almost none. Actually, it looks yeah. like you got some good sleep last night, even though the the Jays played Super past late. midnight. Yeah, the game yeah. got delayed for two hours. So rain delay. Yeah. Okay. That's why oh, I came man. in soaking wet today. Uh, right. To, to just fit the fit the vibe for the Jays show later. <laughs> no, listen, we might have to save a little bit of time for the Jays because uh, I'm 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 back in. I'm back in. I'm a very very casual fair weather fan, but uh, when I see things like eight in a row, then I see a game where they win eight nothing and see some 29 year old who went to Mexico and came back and, and made his pro debut and his family's in the crowd and he gets a one two three inning. I'm like, okay, all right. Couple yep. storylines here, but uh, look. First, we're going to talk about the Toronto Raptors. The most topical thing with the Raptors, honestly, is nothing because uh, there's not much happening aside from Scotty Barnes going down to media day uh, between games two and three down in Boston. Uh, Scotty Barnes is cosplaying a reporter, which honestly, I think he would do very well as a reporter if he decided to go in that route. But uh, well, here's, he's here's... also going to make maybe three hundred million dollars in his career, so maybe don't be a reporter. But here's yeah. the thing about reporting skill there are a few ways to be a good interviewer a good reporter Mm -hmm. one of them is having just that kind of natural charm about you that warms people up and opens people up and if you heard any of the raptors talk about scotty barnes during the course of this year you know that he has that like when even fred is begrudgingly being like yeah you get used to it like that's the that's the that's the most open fred is going to be about something like that so i could see it i could see scotty barnes you, he starts to have a conversation with someone a minute in you think it's a it's like a blow-off conversation and then by like minute seven you're telling scotty barnes your your life story yeah exactly i, I was gonna say first off fred is perhaps the most outwardly old 28 year old you'll ever see somehow he's an old head despite being born in 1994 so that doesn't feel right personally um but the other part is just yeah i mean if we're gonna compare scotty to a reporter who is who is the scotty barnes of the media world if there is one i don't i don't think there's a good comp i don't think anyone i don't think any sports reporter has that level of happiness and energy and if they do it's probably not the people that also have the talent that like like scotty barnes gets away with that in part because he's so good and you have to have sure. patience with him i don't know i don't know if that person exists in sports media i was going to say cabby a little bit like cabby you know how cabby invades your space yeah. and, and and throws you off and 
you're you're media trained, but no, no one really media trains you for yeah. what Cabby's gonna say to you. And that's a good you one. Know, getting you to especially open up. especially peak like Cabby on the street, Cabby. Oh yeah, yeah. Cabby now he just gets you to open up in your wallet. Cabby you know? and Cabby invaded me, you know, backstage here <laughs> nice. at the studio on uh, the Jays home opener. I believe they were playing the A's. I think the Oakland A's and. Uh, he was like, "Yo, quickly, who's your who's your pick?" And I was like, "I'm I'm the the Raptors guy, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna go pick the Blue Jays." Um, yeah, I'm not the person really to come to for for betting advice. But anyway, look, we're not gonna talk about that because look, uh, even though there's not much like topically happening with the Raptors, uh, I think the most topical thing with the Raptors is sort of what they might do with the draft. Yeah, and I wanted to go through their draft history, and this is something that I've done in, in previous podcasts. Um, you know, before it was the Raptor show, when it was Raptors of Everything, or even at Raptors Republic, it was like this exercise before the draft was sort of like looking at this front office and seeing what trends sort of appear based on the results of their previous picks um, and trying to use some of those um, patterns to try to predict what they may do with the 33rd pick uh, overall this year. Um, so, I'm going to quickly go over it. Uh, since Masai and Bobby took over the front office in 2013, the Raptors have made 13 draft picks directly, as well as trading for Norman Powell, who was taken 46 overall in 2015 by the Bucks on draft night, but the Bucks traded him to Toronto. I think the Raptors made that pick on behalf of Milwaukee, or Milwaukee made that pick on behalf of Toronto as part of that trade. Um, you know, I'll, I can go through the list. It's not that, that long of a list. 2021, 20, they drafted Scotty Barnes fourth overall, Bilano Banton 46, David Johnson 47. In 2020, they drafted Malachi Flynn, 29th. Jalen Harris, 59th. 2019, 59th, they took Juan Hernandez. 2017, they took OG Ananobi, tw- uh, 23rd overall. 2016, Jakob Proto with the ninth pick. 2016, Pascal Siakam with the 27th pick. Uh, Fred Van Bleed also goes undrafted in this draft. I, I really consider him the 61st pick, but unfortunately, he's undrafted. That's really his, the key to his story here. Delon Wright, 2015, 20th overall pick. Uh, Norm Powell, 46 in the same draft. And then 2014, uh, just a big swing and a miss. But uh, Bruno Caboclo, 20, uh, 20th overall. DeAndre Daniels, 37th overall. And Xavier Thames, 59th overall in 2014. So looking at this list, I think the one thing that definitely stands out to me is in terms of patterns that the Raptors have had under this front office in the draft is like, I don't, I think it's very clear that the Raptors are not adverse to players with some college experience. Um, And if anything, I might even think that they actually prefer having a little bit more data on sort of how these players are going to turn out. And um, yeah, I mean, first off, I I have some research on this as well, but do you first off see the same pattern? And also, if so, like why, you know, is is that a good approach, et cetera, et cetera? It's a tough one because... That is more data, and theoretically, those players are more projectable. You know more about them and who they are. But at the same time, most models devalue seniors or overexperienced players because there is a real component of a 22-year-old going up against 18-year-olds in college basketball gives you – like, that's a – that's not a very high fidelity sample to evaluate that guy. He's on. He's in his third or fourth year playing against a younger guy. He's physically – you know, those are obviously very important years in terms of physical maturity – Sometimes guys buck that, you know, DeLon Wright was someone I remember was very high on their list from the analytics department. Um, It's not going to be a one size fits all. Obviously, Fred Van Vliet was another one who four years, Norman Powell was a four year guy. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be 
one and that's the big thing from all this is like we say that guys are raptors or they have a certain way but it, there's not really one uniform type of guy they look for um you know og ananobi was not a senior pascal siakam was not a senior and was very inexperienced by the standards of high level basketball so they do kind of go all over the place um i think one of the things that they weigh heavily and this is why they might lean towards seniors is you also have a better handle on the person at that point. I think a 21-year-old or a 22-year-old is just a – there's more – you get a better read on what they're like, what their work habits are going to be like. Um, I know one of the things that some teams test for is there are personality tests and stuff or or psychological tests that can tell you, okay, hey, you get drafted in this spot and – you're, you get drafted onto a good team. So your minutes aren't there right away. And mm. you might have to sit on the bench and you might have to, you know, focus on your own grind in practice or go to the G League. Not all personality types are going to handle that the same way. You get drafted to a bad team where there's not as much structure in terms of offensive discipline, say. Mm. Some guys are going to thrive in that situation and learn how to play winning basketball within that. Some guys aren't. And that's kind of, you know, the the brain is kind of the black box when it comes to drafting. But I do think the Raptors put a pretty high premium on um, quality of person and their ability to not project necessarily, but take an educated guess at how well does this guy fit the culture. And a big part of that culture is you might have to motivate your own grind to, mm. to use a Norm Powell term. You can't get down and you can't pout if you're not in the rotation because you're getting drafted to a winning environment and that's not for everyone and i think that's where older players tend to have a little more polish to them in in terms of maybe it doesn't work out that way um in in practice but i think those guys at least know how to present themselves that way and um can show you know obviously sometimes with four-year guys too you get the the lawn right or, or Fred Van Vliet or Norman Powell path of like, you got it out the mud, right? Like mm-hmm. it's yep. like you weren't a top prospect. You didn't go, Norm went to a big program, but he rode the bench for two years. Yeah. DeLon Wright had to go the community college route first. Fred Van Vliet went to a small school and didn't have a lot of offers, all those things. Um, so I think that the fact that seniors or overage prospects tend to have stories like that as well, mm-hmm. uh, draws the Raptors to them personality-wise, if not necessarily um, play-wise. Now, there's also the argument that, oh, seniors ready, more ready to contribute on a short timeline, but I don't think that's a huge thing because if we're being realistic, especially with only the second-round pick this year, you shouldn't be putting in pencil most rookies to play a meaningful role right away. It doesn't happen a lot. Scotty Barnes is the exception. OG Ananobi is the exception. Pascal Siakam had to go back down to the G League after trying it out. Fred Van Vliet barely played as a barely. as a rookie. So even the guys who work out don't always hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's fair. No, I, that that was going to be the follow up question. Is just like I, I think perhaps this is also a function of like, you know, the Raptors have been very competitive um, just ever since Masai and Bobby uh, took over, only missed the playoffs that one year uh, in Tampa, which doesn't even really count. Um, you know, so. Perhaps some of the thinking could be, I was going to ask you, I guess, is sort of thinking whether they can contribute right away. But even though some guys have, even like a Delano, for example, was in the rotation, at least at the start of the season and stuff like that. Like, I think generally speaking, the strategy of depending on rookies to contribute for you, especially if you are, you know, going to the playoffs, if you are intending to go deep into the playoffs, 
um, that is a little bit shaky. Um, I would say too, there's that's probably a spot where there's a little bit of disconnect between coaching staff and front office. Um, I, I'm not okay. like reporting that. I could just see it where no, that makes sense. Nick yeah, Nurse probably yeah. looks at the the list here and immediately looks at three point percentage and three point volume. <laughs> on that list right like what does this team need short term whereas i think the approach that masai ujiri and bobby webster have tended to take and this again it's not it doesn't hold for every pick but it's the question of there are two questions right does this guy help you win more games now Mm -hmm. which for Mm -hmm. most rookies is going to be no and even in the case of delano banton i think that probably like him playing small rotation minutes to start the year instead of being in the g league probably disrupted the path that he was on obviously he's in a good place still yeah um but though he could have been playing 40 minutes a game instead of you know eight or ten minutes a game um the other question is can we develop this player into someone who wins us games later Mm. and i think that's the question that the raptors have focused on more and you know Masai always talks in terms of championships right like and bobby webster did this at the trade deadline too of well do you make a move because it helps you win an extra two games right now, but it doesn't move your championship needle at all. And I think they've taken that approach more often than not to the draft where, you know, Hey, Delano Banton. Yeah. Maybe he could have played a 10th man role all last year, but if they develop him, right, maybe he could be a sixth man. Mm -hmm. Whereas another pick maybe is a, a surefire, you know, more certain than Delano Banton to play a backup role, but less upside there. So I think that those are the kind of things that they, they look at there more so than how much can this guy play right now? No, that's fair. And I think, honestly, part of that comes down to sort of like the style of player that they've drafted, which I'm going to actually get to that p- part as well. I think the last thing with me is just, just like the age point is like, do you think this is also a function of the fact that the Raptors have been very successful, which means, generally speaking, if you're a successful team, you're going to draft later in the draft, unless you have made some other picks, right? Obviously, the Raptors were able to get the ninth pick overall and take Yaka Proto, despite, you know, being a playoff team because of the Andrea Bernani tra- trade. Um, you know, they've had other instances. Obviously, they tanked that one year, and they got Scotty, which was great. Um, but generally speaking, you're going to be picking later in the draft. And later in the draft, I mean, I guess there's like two strategies. You, you you either take a complete swing on a freshman who probably had a down year, and so therefore their stock you know went down, but maybe, you know, coming out of high school, they had a really high ranking. Uh, or you go with something more dependable, which is like usually some – players who have played a lot more in college. you think that's also a factor in, in the age? I do think it is. And, you know, when we're talking about floor versus ceiling, the guys at the top of the draft are always going to have a completely different equation, right? Yeah, like yeah, there, definitely. there aren't a lot of years where like Tari Eason is going to go 20th overall and has the same profile as a top five pick. Like that doesn't, mm-hmm. that doesn't happen super often. OG and Obi shouldn't have slid the way he slid. But he had injury concerns, and yep. a lot of teams aren't comfortable with that. So, yes, I think it's definitely a product of, of where you pick as well. Um, and you just you have to embrace being creative and thinking outside of the NCAA to NBA pipeline a little bit too with those picks where, you know, Pascal Siakam wasn't a nobody in college, but he was a little bit of an odd pick as a first-rounder as someone who was primarily back to the basket in a smaller conference yeah. with a ton of volume. And who knew how that would translate you look at what the Spurs did during their dynasty years, and some of those are just good picks, but a lot of those, that too is looking outside the box, beating sure, other teams yep. to international markets that the NBA scouts weren't traditionally in, um, finding the Ginobili's and, and Parkers and stuff like that at good value. So there are a few ways to come at it, and I think it's just, you know, if you have top picks, that's a competitive advantage. If you have lower picks, you got to find a different edge. Right, and a lot right. of times that's Makes either sense. your scouting or your, 
you know, your approach things and really your developmental philosophy. I think this far into this front office too, one of the biggest things they're probably trying to measure pre-draft is developmental capacity, I guess you'd call it, which mm-hmm. is, okay, we know what the ceiling is and we know what the floor is. What are the chances they reach the ceiling? Because some guys don't have that developmental capacity. They won't do well in the G League. They won't, you know, do well kind of left on their own to work on their game and stuff like that. You're talking about Bruno? And, pardon? Basically, you're saying Bruno. Honestly, I'll I'll name a name. It's it's the Deontay Davis corollary is what I call it now in okay. my draft article. So um, the year that they took Jakob Pertl 9 and Pascal Siakam 27, yep. that if if for those who don't remember, that was a, the top eight year. A- everyone knew who the top eight guys were going to be. Yep. That was the Jalen Brown, Marquise Chris draft. Like everyone knew who was off the board at eight. And there was one tiny rumor that Jalen Brown might slide. And otherwise, yeah, yeah. as Raptors people, we were looking at everyone nine down. And Deontay Davis was a guy that I liked. The athleticism was crazy. He fit him what, and Scout were the two who yeah. kept falling. And people were like, just take him. You have 27 overall, just take him. Yeah. Now, of course, they took Pascal, which was probably the, the and best this, player in that draft. But this is where... <laughs> I know what you're doing with that. No, I mean, hey. Listen. We could talk finals a different time. But um, <laughs> no, so what... That kind of taught me, and I don't mean to pick on Deontay Davis, but he bounced around a little bit. Teams kind of gave up on him quickly. He went to the G League and put up good numbers, but like it's the it's the Christian Wood thing too, where Christian Wood it took him like three years of putting up bonkers numbers in the G League to stick in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And whenever that's happening over and over again, and a guy has all the tools, like NBA teams love tools. If you have all the tools and you're sliding down draft boards, there's a, there's a, there's, there's something's something. up. There's something, and yeah. in some cases, that's injury. In some cases, it's agent stuff. In some cases, it's, well, all the tools are there, but you don't have confidence that you're going to be able to develop them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's kind of a, that's another, you know, I said the brain is kind of the black box of drafting and that's where some teams are, you know, try to chip away at that a little bit. And yeah, so I call that the Deontay Davis corollary. Cause it's like, yeah, he never, it's not that he was like a traditional bust because he got drafted so late, but he just, yeah, he never put it together more than putting up numbers in the G league. Yeah. No, fair enough. I think it's, I mean, look, this is, the drafting is very, very um, nebulous, but it's also so many components sort of factor in. And it's very interesting. It's just to pick apart all these components. I think that, look, the other part too, speaking to the tools is like, you know, with the Raptors, this was more true, I think, in previous years drafts. And it's been interesting. And I want your thoughts on this. But generally speaking, the Raptors, like most teams, really value wingspan, really value size. If anything, they have a size bias. Like for a while, they're the smallest player they drafted was Norm, who is 6'4 and has a six. 10, 6, 11 wingspan. Yeah. Like, that's not really small, right? I mean, like, it was, like, past that, it was uh, DeLon Wright, who's big for a guard. When you look at, like... And DeLon's taller than Norm. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Uh, um, and when you look at, like, their wingspans and everything like that, I mean, um, the differential between, obviously, your height and your wingspan, you know, Scotty Barnes, for example, is a plus 6. Norm's a plus 6. OG's a plus 6. Pascal's a plus 5, right? Um, by the way, you, you remember how, what, what Bruno's differential was? Plus eight, I want to say. He's plus ten. Ooh. I just sucked this up again. Six nine, seven foot seven wingspan. So he's plus ten. Anyway, so there was a clear wingspan bias, but I, I feel like in the, the at least the last two drafts alone, there's been some more exceptions. First off, like you got Malachi, you got Jalen Harris, both guys who are small guards, no significant wingspan to speak of. Um, you know, Malachi by far is the smallest 
player the Raptors have taken with a first overall or a first round pick. Uh, and then I guess you got David Johnson in the second round. Now, of course, that could be skewed because, you know, Jalen was 59 and, and, and David was 47th and didn't really seem like they had that many plans to play him this year. But um, do you see the Raptors moving away from that? Or is this sort of just like, I mean, they also took Delano and Scotty. I think you have to take some shots outside of your comfort zone in the draft sometimes too, especially years you have two picks or, you know, the Jalen Harris year where you have 59 and you know, you're going to get a couple undrafted free agents too. That happened to Dewan Hernandez year as well, where yep. they technically end up with, I think they end up with four guys, O'Shea Brissett, Shamori Pons, Dewan Hernandez, and Terrence Davis were mm. all names that they were considering at 59. Yep. And then they end up with all of them at one point. Um, so that that's a consideration as well. But I think there's something to getting outside of, you know, you hit on, you, obviously, if something works for you, you know how to develop these longer forwards and, and build playmaking skill and build um, some ball handling and get them to defend within your system. The real test of your developmental system, the next test rather, is can you take a different style of player and get more out of them? Mm. And I think what you've seen with the Harris, Johnson and Flynn picks is an attempt to see if they can take what are more natural offensive packages and develop those players that don't have maybe the same uh, athletic or physical advantages, but they have a more natural or at least more established offensive approach. Mm, yeah. um, and some of that is just probably, hey, let's see what else we can develop. Some of it is, well, if you know you can turn every Justin Champagne into a rotation player, but year over year you're struggling like Terrence Davis becomes an important player for you because no one else can put any pressure on the rim or create a shot for themselves. Yep. Like then it's, then it becomes, well, maybe it's worth, you know, all of these are low probability flyers at that point, but maybe it's worth putting more in that basket sure. because you need one of those to click and you haven't had one click for you really. Well, no, that's, that's honestly, that is, um, that does make a lot of sense. Um, especially because I, I think also when you look at, the results of the draft again like the more recent examples are are different but overall like there just seems to be the raptors haven't emphasized like drafting a ready-made shooter like i i in fact I, I really struggle to think about it it's not like these guys didn't hit threes before the raptors like but the three-point attempt rates were fairly low like oh yeah nobody took three threes a game in, in, in at most in indiana norm I, took three i kind of think we can include precious not as a draft pick i know they didn't draft him yeah, yeah. but like that was a redraft trade right like sure. that was a guy they if he was there at 29 when malachi flynn was there they would have taken precious yes I and agree. another guy who took one three-point attempt yeah no and pascal i don't even think he had any three-point track record at the time he was drafted scotty barnes wasn't taking a lot of threes at norm, norm that was the thing too was yeah. if he can shoot i remember writing it at the when we were at the score yeah. it was like my little draft blurb was like I actually like a lot here. If he can shoot at all, mm -hmm. he's a rotation guy. And then, and, that, and now that's all he does is shoot. Yeah, well, you know. No, it, it's it's interesting because, like, the Raptors' just history there was very clear. They, they weren't taking these types of players. But as you mentioned more recently, like, Malachi, right, he took 6.4 threes per game out of 13 shots per game. So that's half. Half his shots were threes. You look at J uh, Jalen Harris, 6 of 16 were threes so almost you know similar similar ratio even a david johnson was shooting four threes a game against like you know seven two-point shots per game so those are guys who have like substantial three-point shooting track records but generally speaking i think it's fair to say like the raptors just don't value shooting to the same degree as other teams which is not to say the raptors don't value shooting i just think that like yeah, i've even asked bobby webster this question outright and he said like it's one of like five or six things that they consider rather than like one of 
one or two things they consider. I also think if you were going to write out those five or six things and you rank them in terms of, well, how, what is the likelihood we can develop this skill? Mm-hmm. Well, you can't stretch a guy out more. You can't make his hands bigger. Otherwise, I would have a huge wingspan by now and I'd have gigantic hands. Yeah, what's, like a, what's your measurements, man? It's 5'10 with a 5'11 wingspan, maybe. It's not a lot. Damn, you and Fred the same, huh? Yeah, I, I, I could trick a team, though. I, I, I'll, like, I'll be going to the workout, and they'll be like, oh, what size shoes are you? I'll be at 14, and they'll be like, ooh, this guy's got, there must be wingspan here. There's growth potential. I'm like, no, no, no. on stilettos. No, 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 I just have clown feet. Um, uh, so That's true, actually. You have, like, size 13 feet. 14, yeah. 14, um, wow, okay, all right. Yeah, so anyway, um, I, I think if you lay those things out, it's like, okay, what are the five things the five most important things we see in a prospect are wingspan, because that's a proxy for ability to fit our defensive system, mm-hmm. uh, shooting, handle, processing speed as a general catch-all for like how well do you read the game and feel the game. And then a big one that I know they try to work on in workouts and then as they track guys, like I remember it was a big O'Shea thing is, okay, here's how you look at G League minicamp. How do you take coaching and do you look better at the combine? And how do you take coaching? And do you look better when we bring you in for a workout? Mm. How do you take that coaching? Do you look better at summer league? And that was one of the things that they liked about O'Shea was the progression step over step in that draft process. Right. So you lay those five things out. And the last one is kind of wait and see. You can't know that ahead of time. But of the other four, it's like, well, what can you teach? Mm-hmm. Can't teach wingspan. If you can teach that processing speed or feel, if you want to call it, it's a pretty... You used the word nebulous earlier. It's like it's hard to touch, mm-hmm. right? It's hard to throw anything at that other than reps, unless yeah. you're into the virtual reality game or something like that. Um, even oh, yeah. handle, handle something you you can work on, but like some guys, yeah. it just never comes for. And then obviously wingspan as that proxy for defensive ability, you can't do that either. You can teach a guy how to use his body better, how to rotate his hips better and things like that, but you can't make up for the size. So Mm -hmm. you're left with, okay, well, shooting is the one thing that we at at least know how to coach a guy on. Stick him in the corner. Tell him to take a thousand threes every day. Mm -hmm. And some guys it's going to work for. Some guys will become passable from bad. Give them the Nick Nurse pill. Yeah. And and look, we joke about the Nick Nurse pill, but... It's not a joke. I've literally seen Nick Nurse walk up to Isak Bonga this year (laughs) in practice, and he was like... Isak was already doing form shooting with a regular basketball. Nick Nurse walks across the gym, t- says, hey, hold on to one of the other trainers who were there. And he was like, he, and he literally said, yo, here you go, and gave him the Nick Nurse pill. And he said it was probably a little bit deflated, but he's like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yo, do this instead. And, you know, you can line up the sh- – anyway, this is – No, it's, I, it's, I think that's actually like a part of it. Like it I is. think Nick is like a big part of their confidence and development. It is, and we've years. known for uh, a couple years they have – at one point it was called a NOAA analytic system that like gives guys real-time feedback on their three-point shooting. Like you could be in the gym by yourself and there will be a voice that tells you short, long, right, left when you miss shots. And you can like, like a you, voice of God in the gym, just like no, no, like a speak- like a like there's a feedback thing, like a sport view tracker oh, okay, on, okay. The, on the nets, okay, and wow. you can get real time feedback. So yeah, you still need like a trainer there to be rebounding for you and stuff like that. Sure, but sure. shooting is also the one thing that there's immediate immediate feedback on. You can't you can't work on defensive stuff and know if it's if you're getting better at it in real time. You can't work on. I mean, you can work on your handle, but until you're against a defender who's actually trying to. Sure, strip yeah. you and stuff it, it's a little hard and you certainly can't work on you know your size in any I kind mean, you of you could work on well, your size yeah you can get in according to pat riley yeah 
yeah, that whole thing. Uh, anyway, uh, so I just think I, I think yeah. at the top of the draft, shooting is an important skill because every prospect that's getting picked that high should be bringing a lot more to the table already, right? Yeah, like you, you got to have like Cade Cunningham to be the number one pick. Part of that was, well, he can already shoot. So his floor is way higher because he's got size and he can shoot. And then if you're later in the draft, you have to punt on something, right? Mm -hmm. Those yep. guys aren't going to check every box. Do you punt on, okay, well, we're going to get a guy who's a little older and maybe you get a few less years out of him, but those like four rookie scale years, he's closer. Or do you punt on shooting because you think that's something you can develop over the course of four years? Is that like something's got to give in mm -hmm. those spots. The Spurs until like the Spurs at one point were almost like anti-modern and that they had no wings. They were all like all guards and yeah. centers. Yep. And yep. it's like, okay, well, that's where the advantages were. A lot of teams didn't think those smaller, twitchy international guards could scale to the NBA level. So they leaned into that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then, yeah, you end up with Manny Ginobili, who is one of, you know, the 25 best players in the NBA at the time coming off the bench for his whole career. But that's what the draft presented to you, picking at the end all the time. So you just have to, the whole point of this and the whole, I think, way to wrap up the Raptors draft philosophy is just like, you have to be agile because you don't get to you don't have your pick of everyone. Like if, if they had the number one pick every year, we could probably figure out that's the Raptors type of guy. That's who they're taking. Yeah. But you don't, you got, you're picking through this year. Like guys, every team has already passed on. Yeah, exactly. Which does make, I guess, more interesting from a coverage perspective. Cause I guess we can play more games with it. The last thing I was going to wrap up on is just uh, the Raptors haven't drafted a, a player outside of college basketball, um, despite their reputation outside of Bruno Caboclo. Um, so did Bruno essentially turn the Raptors off of drafting international? Guys? I don't think so because my my okay. hottest take about this front office's entire tenure is that the DeAndre Daniels pick was worse than the Bruno one. Okay, Bruno, you at least saw what they were going for. Yes, DeAndre, again, plus DeAndre 10, Daniels plus had a couple good games in the NCAA tournament on top of not a great sample without NBA size. Was he good in the analytics at least? Maybe. He, I don't I, think. I can't imagine because he didn't have. Okay. Great numbers at, at UConn. Like, he, he was just not... I still don't really get what that one was. Mm -hmm. It's the front office's first draft. Maybe that. Maybe it's as simple as that. They hadn't really figured out what they wanted to be yet. But, yeah. like, that was a three-year guy at Connecticut who... He averaged 13 points. He shot 41% on threes, but he only shot three a game. And he wasn't really that good defensively. Yeah. But he okay. had a good tournament. Interesting. Yeah, the Raptors have generally avoided that kind of type. Yeah. Yeah. I but guess like Fred Doc had a great Hot tournament, the, but Fred was just a great player. Fred also overall. had four years of yeah, exactly. being good, right? Yeah. And I'd imagine Fred's interviews are, like his pre-draft interview oh, circuit yeah. is probably the stuff of legend around around the Raptors' offices. Yeah, everybody has a Fred story about when they first uh, saw Fred and fell in love with Fred. My um, favorite is still Kennedy Meeks stories, though. Like, they brought him as an undrafted guy for Summer League. Yeah, and, I remember him, yeah. And he ended up playing a year with the 905 under Stackhouse. And um, it, first of all, it was the best Summer League ever because him and J. Cole are boys. So J. Cole came to Summer League games. Like, J. Cole was was doing shows in Vegas at the same time as Summer League. Okay. But he was coming to Summer League games to watch Kennedy Meeks because he's a huge UNC fan. Uh -huh. And him and Kennedy Meeks became, like, friends. Interesting. So I'm, I'm interviewing this summer league guy who's like hoping to get a training camp invite at one point i'm like were you just talking to j cole and he's like oh yeah that's my guy and then i ask around the raptors and everyone is like oh he is like the most fun guy we've ever had in for 
a pre-draft. Like he was everyone's favorite dude. Wow. It just didn't uh, didn't work out for him on the course. Pretty successful international career, but that's good. Yeah, that's good to know. All right, when we talk about Kennedy Meeks, that's also time yeah. to take a break on the show. I'm your host, Will Lou. I thought we were gonna pivot to Scarborough off the J Cole thing, you know? Uh, um, honestly, the less we talk about it, the the the, the better it is. Because Scotty that, Barnes and Alec Manoa were out there. Now, now it's real. No, it's great. Look, listen, they got a lot of celebrities at the game. It's got a lot of attention on the CBL, which is fantastic. Um, and and even just having a, another pro team in Toronto was really cool to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason people come to see it, to see J. Cole and also to see Jalen Harris, that's the part where it's been like, eh, man, it's been tough. I don't know. I, I've I only watched two of the games. Jalen Harris looked really good in one of them and really not good in the other one. Yeah. So, and then uh, you, how, how much have you seen J. Cole? I saw him hit the corner three. Like, not even on highlights. I was watching it live when it happened. But otherwise, yes. yeah. He gets he gets the Tybal treatment. That's... Also, isn't he like, how old is he? He's like... 35, 36? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Like, were you expecting a 36-year-old amateur player to come in and do more than hit a corner three? Anyway, whatever. No, I don't think anyone was expecting much other than... I, I don't I'm know. People, people sound like they're disappointed. They're I, like, I can't believe he's coming off the bench. I'm like, what do you mean you can't believe he's coming off the bench? Yeah, come on. Come this on. Is, this is like a... This is a professional league. Like, there are guys in this on that team that have played in the NBA. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, you know, the only... Only player who 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 raps successfully yeah. and plays basketball successfully is Miles Bridges. Yeah. But we'll see how much that that stays. The David Stern line. <laughs> <laughs> if you have okay, we're not gonna talk about it here. But if you uh, haven't seen it already, just search Miles Bridges on Twitter or something. All right. <laughs> but anyway, we're gonna take a break. I'm your host, Will Lou. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Great daily gambling advice from JD, Blake, and Ailish in the Fan Morning Show's Wake and Rake. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet. I'm Nighting the Fan. I'm your host, William Lou. I continue to be joined by Blake Murphy, who will be here. So you're going to be here from 2 through 5.30? Yeah. Yeah. I was on at 8.30. Impressive. That's right. You're also on at 8.30 as well. Um, okay. We're going to quickly look at, because last week um, I asked you to present three players that intrigued you that were also somewhat possible at the 33rd pick. And what I did instead was throw like eight names in different buckets of guys. <laughs> I, didn't, I, mean, I didn't complete the assignment as assigned. I mean, to be fair, I did I did mismanage the timing of the show. I only left you with like two minutes to cover them. That was, a little, right. was a little difficult. I mean, look, we had a great discussion about OG Anobi and, and, and trades, so that was actually probably much more topical than, hey, here's some six eight guys that I like who can't shoot. Which you know, if I had to summarize that segment, was basically what it is. Um, so anyway, so I decided to return their favor and offer you two as well. Um, starting with Tari Eason, who's another six eight guy with great athleticism, seven foot one, wingspan, twenty one year old out of LSU. Uh, very athletic, gets downhill, um, gets the free throw line in, in part just because he is very athletic, um, but he can't shoot. Um, however, I, th- I think the metrics probably like him a lot. I, I know something like steals and blocks, um, where, which, by the way, 3.2 steals and 1.8 blocks per 40 minutes. Um, I think some of those rates, generally speaking, I, I mean, I'm not a draft expert. I just see this line repeated a lot about the draft is that the steals and block rates generally translate well from college to the NBA, it's sort of a projection of sort of like, A, how active you are, B, how effective you are, and also C, like just your ability to potentially read the game as well. Um, yeah, and when you watch some highlights of the guy, you're like, damn, okay, I could see why he would fit in the Raptors' mold. Um, 
you know, obviously you would need to train him up offensively a lot. Well, yeah, you, you've got to... Apparently he's a one-handed player. Doesn't use his left whatsoever. It affects his dribbling, affects his shooting, affects his scoring. The, the other thing but. is he shoots like Chris Boucher, like on threes. Like he has... Clearly the Raptors he, don't mind. He has the very like elongated kind of... Um, I used to say for Amir Johnson and, until people started using this nickname for Chris Boucher, but the trebuchet. Yeah. They're like, you got to pull the string back to shoot the mm. shoot the cannonball or whatever it is, the trebuchet ball. Um yeah, so he has very Boucher-like mechanics, which obviously we know that can lead to some inconsistency and a slower release. It takes you a little while to let it fly. It's semi-encouraging that he hit a couple of them this year. Yeah, I'm not expecting him to do that no. in the pros, at least definitely not in year one or even year two even. No, the big thing with Eason, though, is, well, one, the productivity. Like, he just put up yeah. numbers all over the place. Um, huge steals and points. A lot of the advanced metrics like him for a lot of things. And, and they're actually not even that down on his three-point shooting because he is a good free-throw shooter. And because okay. college three-point samples tend to be very small, yep. uh, a player's free-throw shooting can help us expand the sample a little bit. The most important stat actually in projecting three-point percentage in the NBA is just three-point attempts, how often you're shooting. Okay. Um, because only generally only good shooters get the leash to shoot and it shows that you're further along in your development because you're probably self-creating some of those and stuff. Um, but free throw percentage can help us a little bit mm. when it comes to, Hey, the three sample is not great. And he's an 80% free throw shooter. Okay. Yeah. Um, the big thing with Easton though, is he defends like hell. And if yeah. you're talking about guys who are going to defend multiple positions or fit a Raptor scheme, it's him. So I'm I'm going to borrow something here, if you don't mind, from uh, Brian Schroeder, who is at Brian J Draft on Twitter. Awesome, awesome draft Twitter guy. He put Eason next to Keegan Murray. Oh. Who is going okay. to go maybe top five in this draft. Yeah. And obviously this is not the most fair way to do things, but it does highlight that Eason is closer to a top five prospect than he is further away. Keep in mind, he's also younger than Keegan Murray. Their block rates are more or less the same. Eason's steal rate is twice as high. Assist rates are the same. Eason gets to the free throw line more and is a better free throw shooter. Yep. Worst three-point shooter. Doesn't get to the rim quite as much. Um, but both guys, similar rate of shots of their field goals are assisted. Similar um, in box plus minus. So in terms of like, are you impacting winning? And then their measurements are almost the same. That's interesting. Keegan Murray is, Brian kind of concludes his thread here by, I'll quote from, quote him instead of paraphrasing, Keegan is more polished and probably closer to being a real self-creator in the NBA right now, but if Tari becomes a 37-ish percent shooter, he will basically be uh, like a super version of Jeremy Grant. Yeah. Which is an interesting comp given where Jeremy Grant's career has ended up, um, where, you know, he doesn't want to get traded unless it gets traded to a place where he can get 20 points a game. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of, uh, again, thank you to, to Brian and Brian does some great draft work behind, uh, the paywall Patreon as well. You can go to patreon.com slash Brian J NBA. Uh, he's an invaluable resource this time of year, along with a number of draft Twitter people. Uh, but yeah, Eason getting comps physically and product productivity wise and is younger yep. than Keegan Murray, who's most people have him in the top five on their big board. Yeah, I, just having done some research into this, it, it does feel like it's unlikely that he would last until 33, but uh, someone to, to keep an eye on for sure. You also, what? there's nothing saying you can't trade up or trade in. Well, it's interesting you mention that because, um, you know, the uh, the latest report, I guess from Keith Smith, um, uh, Keith Smith NBA, 
He reports, talking to teams about the NBA draft, the team that keeps coming up as a natural trade partner for everyone is Oklahoma City, but not for number two. That seems to be off the table for now. Uh, Most teams are looking at number 12, number 30, or number 34, as one put it, quote, they don't have the roster spots for four guys. It turns out after many years of tanking and many years of just like trading away very, very good players for future picks, which I think is a generally fine strategy, but... um, yeah, OKC now has like 34, I think, surplus picks, and they clearly have the same size roster as everyone else. Yeah, 30, which, 34 picks between 2023 and 2028. Right. Which makes right. this complicated, right? Because if you're the Raptors, what do you have to offer that OKC is interested in? You could throw some extra That's picks at it. What are you really doing, man? No, but seriously, like you clearly, they're not trading for win now players. At least no. I don't think so. They haven't really pivoted. So, like, what, I what literally can you offer them? No, and like, unless they really like Malachi Flynn, but even then, you're talking about Malachi Flynn and an unprotected future first for, you know, the number 12 pick, which yeah. maybe, maybe that's worth it if you, if you expect to be good moving forward. I, I doubt OKC. I think there's, there's probably a better deal that beats that. Yeah. I, I gotta think. You would uh, think so. But, in but any unprotected speed, unprotected speaks a lot in, yeah, that's true. I feel like unprotected picks are very rarely moved nowadays, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's because uh, every time they do get moved, you see something like, ooh, the 2027 Lakers unprotected first round pick is the best asset of basketball. Uh, it's a big risk. Honestly, OKC probably trying to, <laughs> they probably have their eyes on that, too. Honestly, OKC probably has enough draft picks to take an entire class of children in grade six right now. Um, so, yeah, I guess there could be movement within the draft. But assuming the Raptors stay at 33 and they don't acquire their picks, you know, um, I, I doubt Tari's still available, but he's definitely someone that fits the Raptors mold. Another guy I really liked was Andrew Nemhard. Um, I've liked him ever since watching him play for Canada at the World Cup. Um, you know, he was the youngest player, I think, there at the time for the roster. But it's real interesting to see the Raptors. I mean, the Raptors. Canada had a very unbalanced roster that year. I think mm-hmm. they had, like, five point guards maybe, and the roster is only 12 at that point. Yeah. Um, but Andrew, despite being young, despite having so many players who played the same position, he was able to be in the rotation. Nick Nurse obviously coached that team. Nick has a good familiarity with him. He's also spoken highly of him before. It comes from a really good program at Gonzaga. And, um, you know, honestly, I, I was a little surprised to see him mocked as low as 58. I think that was just NBA draft on net. But, you know, who knows? 58 is still I, like... I've seen him mocked as high as the Raptors at 33 and then undrafted someplace. Okay, right. So there's a huge range, as you would expect yeah. from almost everybody who... Could potentially be in the second round there, but so here's I like Andrew a lot, man. I I, I think he, yeah, I don't know. Go ahead. I was just gonna say one of the reasons he was able to play for that Canada team despite all the guards is that he's almost six five and has a six six wingspan. Now that's yeah. that's only a plus one. Sorry to to burst your plus six uh, streak there, but that's yeah. a big guard, and the Canada basketball team basically trusted him to be kind of like a one offensively and a three defensively, like yeah. similar to how the Raptors would use Bannon sometimes this year mm-hmm. if they didn't like the matchup for him on ball. Um, Nembard is really, really smart. Yeah, He's a really heady player. He has some projection disadvantages going against him, like the wingspan, like the fact that he doesn't get to the free throw line at all, the fact that he's old, he's already 22. When you get to the second round, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff doesn't matter as much as can you play. Yeah, and, and as we discussed, the Raptors, you know, don't mind some of these things historically. Yeah. Yeah. And you're coming from an environment where, yeah, you know you can play. That's a pro-style offense. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Gonzaga guys don't come in and 
you know, succeed with a thousand percent success, but they generally come in, you know, with an understanding of what a more pro offense looks like. I know the Jalen Suggs here, they, they did some gimmick stuff with him, but still you have an idea of, mm-hmm. of what a good offense looks like and the familiarity there. My, my question with Nembard wouldn't even be, is he a fit at 33? It would be given his wide draft range. Could, could you try to get him undrafted or a two way or something? Could you do the, have his agent nudge, other teams and be like, look, we, you know, we won't sign a two way. This could be complicated. Do the Terrence Davis, Fred Van Vliet, Justin Champagne thing of guide yourself to undrafted free agent. You got something lined up right away. Harder to do at the 33 pick to pass on a guy than it is at like 46 or 59. I agree. But I would keep that on the radar. And you you would assume that out of all his preferences, Toronto, obviously, playing at home would be really big for him. Um, a system he's already started to get to know. Right. Familiarity with Nick, obviously, having worked with him. And, again, like, it's not just like, okay, it's not like, okay, what well, the Canadian reporters want to get Canadian players on the Raptors again. Like, you know, it, it's not that. I think his his profile is really good. Um, you know, Adam Spinella, who's another really good draft guy on Twitter, makes a ton of YouTube videos. Um, I actually don't know how he does all of these videos um, while also being a coach himself. Also does a lot of great stuff on his sub stack. So go, go uh, subscribe to him as well. But he made this great point that like, look, you're looking at 5.5 assists per game under two turnovers per game and 38% shooting from three. Like it's just really, really solid stuff that for a guy who, if you're looking at his perspective, is like, well, I get to come home to Toronto, but also do I have a path to play? And it's like, yes, you do have a path to play. The backup point guard position is very much open. Also, just guards' positions are period open. Like we're seeing a coach that Nick, who outside of a lot of this past year where they haven't had two uh, like playable point guards, is also willing to play two point guards together as well. So, yeah, yeah. he's he's a good. I'd be pretty happy if he came. I think so. And, and again, you have to be careful with expectations for a second round pick. He's another guy that I'd probably be saying the same thing I was saying with Delano last year of. He can give you backup minutes now, but it's probably best for him long-term to get down to the G League and, and work yeah. on some stuff there. Um, mostly, you know, just kind of offensive aggression. Like, I could see him being able at the NBA level, but maybe not aggressive enough to to attack advantages. Like, like sure. he is, and this is a credit to him and certainly a credit to his understanding of the environment around him at Gonzaga, but he is like a pass-first, pass-second guy. Yeah. And that's why the free throw rate's low. Um, he only took five and a half field goal attempts inside the arc per game. Mm-hmm. He's not going to, you know, as he is right now, not going to pressure the rim a ton just because he's looking to pass first. But also with, a great floater as well. Yeah. And yeah. with his length, you you like his ability to, you know, be a, a decent finisher. It's not like you're talking the Fred Van Vliet, Malachi Flynn challenge of you're going to be five, six inches smaller than anyone guarding you. Yeah. Um, it's not the same thing. So I, I like Nembard. I, I like... I, I was wrong on where he was a couple years ago. I thought when he was looking to transfer, he should have come out. I thought it would have helped his development more mm. um, being in the G League or being in a pro-style environment. I like where he's at. Yeah, and he's done it, well. It, it's hard to separate sometimes the Raptors side and the Canada basketball side because I do look at Nembard and it's like, yeah, this is a this is a guy who could factor into that program. Um, you know, obviously couldn't make the three-year commitment because he doesn't know where he's going to land in the draft. Right it's really hard for a rookie to do that. Uh, but, yeah, he, I think he's he's an NBA guy, and if he's not an NBA guy yet, I think he's close. Yeah, fair enough. All right, super quickly. Got, like, three minutes left. Um, so the Utah Jazz continue to force themselves into the news with Quinn Snyder stepping down as head coach. Um, uh, Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer, friend of the program, Kevin O'Canada, 
Kevin propaganda. Also, uh, reports that the Raptors have expressed interest in Rudy Gobert, sort of reinforcing um, what Jake Fisher has already put out there from Bleacher Report. Um, look, we've already done the Rudy Gobert discussion. I think you and I are both on the case of just the contract's too big. I, I don't really want it. I don't really want to be left holding the bag. Um, but my other question is, it, there seems to be a lot of changes in Utah. And I think they still want to be competitive because it seems like unless Donovan Mitchell asks out, they're going to try everything possible to try to please him. But, um, you know, could you maybe get a couple pieces from Utah? Is there anyone on Utah that intrigues you if they are open for business? Because I also open up their Caps um, page, and uh, this thing looks nasty. But just I'm going to ask you first. Is there anyone on Utah you like? Yeah. It's, it's Obviously Donovan Mitchell, but, like, you know. There are guys on Utah I like, you know, like even Mike Conley, but – He's got two years left yeah, on that deal. No, I know he's... it's not fully guaranteed the last year, but it's still a tough one. Bogdanovich as an expiring twenty million wouldn't be that bad in theory, but you gotta send out the salary yeah, and make like, it work. What are you, so, what are you trading for like that, I don't yeah. think Gary Trent for Bogdanovich is the type of move. Oh. Like you're not you're not there yet. Ten years older, man. Yeah, you're you're not in that spot. Um I do like Royce O'Neill, but you're already you've already built several Royces O'Neill. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, the Raptors that... specialize in manufacturing Royce O'Neal. Yeah. so I guess we're not doing that. Royce the six seven. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, so I don't know. It, it, it's hard to see. Udoka as a is like an interesting. Like, could you get him some nine oh five time and turn him into something? Okay. Um, but he's still on his rookie skill deal. So that's okay. that's. I don't. I don't know that anything fits price wise. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. No. Looking at the roster, I mean, like, I guess people still want to kill. Another example of Canadians wanting Canadians on the team. but uh, I suppose. Yeah. Well, Nick has got to get better at some of the stuff he was really good at as a rookie. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Utah's a mess, man. Yeah. I'm very happy. That, Look, the Nikhil, the Nikhil move would be... The trade would be... Uh, how do we say this? A subtle, a subtle tamper? Oh. That's what you'd be... No, listen, there. if you're going to be a cop for tampering, you got to you got to have higher ambitions. But look, that does it for us today. I'm your host, William Lou, and you've been listening to the Raptors show on Sports FM 90 The Fan. Uh, make sure you find the Raptors show wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribe, and please rate and review our show. Thanks again to our guest, Blake Murphy, our board producer, Derek Brandale, and Jennifer Rowland for helping with the YouTube stream. A reminder, we're off air tomorrow because the Jays are playing a day game, and uh, I will be off the next two weeks. Alex will be taking over hosting duties starting Thursday, and then Blake will be carrying you through the week of the draft. So... I will talk to you two weeks from now. Have a good trip.